Uh, good morning. Today's uh, reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. One in Christ. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. So I'm going to try something a little bit dangerous off the top. Um, I'm going to try to make you feel bad. Is that okay? You're supposed to feel good in church, right? Some people like to feel bad. They like to be reprimanded a little bit because if you're feeling kind of bad or guilty about something and you get reprimanded, then you can feel a little bit more free. Um, so, but I'm going to do this with a little caveat, of course, and that is that I'm not really upset at you. So I have to kind of, you know, act as if I am to do this little exercise that's next, okay? You good with that? So if you find yourself getting upset and you find yourself going, wait a minute, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. I, I accept that. You don't have to do it out loud, but I accept that it might be what's happening in your head. And then we'll finish the exercise and we'll go on with the sermon, okay? All right. <clears throat> what's wrong with you people? I thought you wanted people to know about Jesus. You don't really. Where are they? Who have you told? Who have you brought? Is it my work? Do you really want people to know about Jesus? What are you doing about that? I can't keep doing this. <laughs> um, it, it can feel uncomfortable. What are we supposed to do? We understand. Now we're breaking out of it, okay? And I understand when I say you could look and blame me. If I did it even for a little bit longer and really made you feel bad 
then you would basically be like, well, it's on you because if things were half decent around here, then we'd bring people, right? And that's always what happens. It gets back and forth. I warn other ministers, and now that I'm an old minister, it's, you know, it's amazing. Just as you get older, people listen to you, and they think, I think if you just survive in ministry, sometimes people think like, well, that person must have some good advice. And if I have any, and I'm not saying that one piece is I say to people my age and younger, you can say this to older people too, as a minister, don't ever treat your congregation like an opponent. The, the minute you start doing that, it's done. And I've seen it actually. I've seen it happen. And uh, it's, it's a really difficult thing. But the challenge becomes, how do we bring before ourselves these things that we know there's a bit of disconnect over, but sometimes we don't speak about them. We know in our faith that our faith is not for us alone. The heart of the Christian faith, we've talked about it over the last year and a bit, even more, the heart of our Christian faith is that we are to bear witness to what God has done in Jesus Christ for the whole world. And yet, now let me say it a little nicer, and yet, for the most part, we struggle to do that. Sometimes we think if we were doing that more properly, then more people would be in more churches. And you can see works of the Holy Spirit of God in various places around the world where there's just droves of people coming in faith. But we can't produce those kinds of things by our own wishes or even at times our own work. Sometimes the Spirit just shows up. It's happening in the Iranian community right now around the world. More and more and more people, not only in Vancouver, not only here in this building with the Iranian church that meets here, but around the world people are coming to faith in Christ. So, are are we just done with that then? Are we at a different point in our faith and in our life of faith? I don't think so. So, should you then feel guilty and go out this week and start telling people directly about Jesus when, you know, especially if they're captive, like a server or something, right? Or the person helping you check your groceries in the line? I've always been leery of captive witnessing, when somebody has to be nice to you. I've told you before the story about when I was attending Simon Fraser years and years ago at my undergrad, and somebody wanted to meet, and I thought it was just like a friendship thing, and we met, it was like for dinner one night, I remember, which a lot of people were gone from campus, and then I realized I was being witnessed to. It was an interesting feeling. They didn't know, I suppose. But how do we, if we know this faith, is a call to bear witness to this hope in the world? I'm going to go this far, okay? I think we need some newer models of what it means to share our faith. It is not to castigate the present and the past, but it is to say that the ways in which we've done things for 100 years, 50 years at least, they're always changing. It's not to try to become clever or novel, right? But it is to say, Lord God, how would you have us bear witness now in this culture with how people live and think? The key for me, and I've been playing with this in my mind, um, and I understand that it can be a bit provocative, so I I don't intend to fully unpack it today, but the key for me is the term that I've been praying over, which is Christian faith without division. Christian faith without division. So when I say that, what I mean is that my faith should always draw me towards other people, not away from them. And when I'm thinking about them, I shouldn't think about what I have that they don't, and as if kind of any sense of superiority, but what I should think about is how, what we have in common. 
and that what God has done for me, He has done for that person. But my longing for them, of course, is that they would see the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That's a hope for all people. Christian faith without divisions. And it's something to think about when we get to this text today. Christian faith without walls. That's just for those who have been here uh, in the last few weeks. This is the structure of Ephesians. You get theological kind of building, and then on the downside of the peak you get, so here's how you live in light of it. It's chapters 1, 2, and 3 that do the building, peak in the, in the middle of chapter 3, and then the other side is, so now when you're working, when you're in your families, when you're relating to one another, here's how to live. You get some dangerous texts in the second half of Ephesians if you don't think of the first half. By the way, dangerous texts if you just take them out of context. Things like wives submit to your husbands. If you just hear that, then you're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? But the rest of the verse says, submit to one another. This is, these are texts of mutual submission. In other words, if you see these big theological truths, here's how you will live in relationship to one another. All right? But Christian faith without division. And in this text, in the building of this theological argument, the second half of chapter 2, we get a focus on walls. Now, I don't have to make any political comment here in the era in which we live. But the trouble is, what I'm about to say next becomes a political comment. But I'm going to say it because it's one of the best Christian truths of all. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is a destroyer of walls. When Christians start speaking about walls that divide people as really great things, we've got a problem. Now you say, well, you're talking about states and politics. I understand I'm going bigger picture. Jesus Christ is a destroyer of wall. My faith compels me towards other people, not away from them. And God is a builder. So what's happening in this text is you have walls being torn down, but by the time you get to the end of this passage, you have God building this eternal, everlasting building. So isn't it interesting that you get the two of them together? Walls coming down, but something fantastic and eternal is being built. All in Jesus Christ. The fact that God is a builder should be good news for Sutherland Church right now. Shouldn't it? I think it's also good that he kind of tears down because we need some of that, potentially. But as a pastor, and as a pastor in this place, when I pray about the building, when I pray, we need people who are thinking about this and working on this and all the rest, and I should probably have something to say about it. But where God directs me is, oh, Todd, you need to consider what I am building far beyond actual structures and walls and what needs to be torn down. So what I'm putting before you is, without casting it as a negative, some, and I'm not saying these are the walls, but some of the ways we have done things might not be effective, and we need to think about what it is that God is building. You will have seen around us lots of building. Uh, We live in a place where real estate is insanely expensive, as most of you know, and uh, there's all kinds of difficulties in terms of housing, the housing crisis. But things are still being built a lot, right? Condos, apartments, and when you can charge like a million dollars for an apartment, um, developers keep building them. And so just walk around the neighborhood, walk around Lonsdale, go to 13th and Lonsdale. I used to go to Safeway at 13th and Lonsdale like 17 times a day. That's where I would shop. And you go in once, buy something, who, you know, we just keep, I told you, if you ever wanted to run into us, Jen or I, just stand outside of Safeway and we'll eventually be there. And now the Safeway's gone. And we don't have anywhere to get groceries. No, we do. (laughs) 
But you can look back at those times and think with nostalgia about that really sketchy grocery store. Friends of mine who would visit would come into that grocery store and they would go like, this is where you shop? Right? And it didn't look like that to me. And the parking lot's all uneven. Your car might be parked like this. Let alone what's happened at 17th Street. The new city market, which is just this feel wonderful as you shop. Remember what it replaced? Did you ever park your car at that store and you just fell out of your door? There's building going on all around us, but it's an important concept for us as Christians to think, what is it that God is building? And it helps to think what was there, but what's there now. And for us as a church right now, it's not necessarily to hold on desperately to what we have, but it's to ask God, what would you build into the future? So the text, divided in four sections. The first is, verses 11 and 12, you were alienated or you were far off. Verses 13 to 15, you have been brought near. Now, it's very important. Please stress this in your mind or however you're remembering things. If you do, don't worry. I often forget my own sermons. Sometimes people will say, remember when you said so? I don't have any recollection of that. So you're okay. But don't forget this. You have been brought near does not say you have brought yourself near. That's often how we think religiously. I made this decision, right? No, you were far off and you've been brought near. In Christ. By Christ. Then thirdly, verses 16 to 19 talk about what that reconciliation looks like. That being brought together. And the verses beautifully describe for us that that reconciliation is between God and humanity. God has willed not to be God without people. He's the only being who could be alone. Nothing else, this is theology, but nothing else can exist outside of God. He is, Jesus Christ is, before all things. In Him, all things hold together. But who requires nothing to exist? God. But God, the only one who could exist without anything else, chooses to be with us. Chooses not to be God without us. So God and humanity have been reconciled. But what's even more beautiful for some people to consider is that these verses then describe how humanity and humanity is reconciled. In this case, Jew and Gentile. Jewish person and a non-Jewish person in the conversation of the New Testament. And finally, the building project, verses 20 to 22. And if you're not starting to learn this word now, I intend that you would. And that is the word eschatology. For us, bearing witness to the gospel in the days and years ahead... We're going to have to understand the word eschatology. What eschatology means is where everything is headed in God. What is God doing in history and where is it going? In eschatology, please don't think it only means end times. That's an abuse of the term. It means the completion of all things. See, and it's a tough word for people like us to understand because in a a basically non-religious culture in which we live, we just think things are breaking down, right? That's the approach most people would take. But in God, we're told that things are headed somewhere. That's eschatology. Okay? So, the building is an eschatological building. Something is being built into eternity. Now, for Sutherland Church, we should be desperately glad about this. Because whatever... I mean, if we fix this, if we don't fix this, what 
all these questions that are before us. If we tear this down, build something else here. If we find ourselves somewhere else, whatever it is, whatever we do, will one day, and this should give you terrible joy and freedom, whatever we do will one day be gone. The next thing we do. The next building. But God is building something eternal. Our job is to understand in whatever is built how we connect what we would like to do in this world and community with what God is doing in eternity. That's our job. So walls, you were far off. Where did the concept of walls come from? I won't say who, but we were told recently that wheels existed before walls. I think that's not true. But anyway, where did walls come from? They've had a long history. Walls came, obviously, with this hope of keeping someone apart. Positive things can be produced with walls. I listened to a great podcast on CBC on walls this week. I had to do this. I knew that I was talking about this. I saw this. And one of the things that was pointed out was you protect yourself from the other if you feel you need to do that in one of two ways, either with a wall or with warriors. And they pointed out that if you take your young people, young men in, in historically, and you turn them into warriors, it tends to um, insulate your culture. It can work, but it has some detrimental effects. If you use walls, and this guy was kind of saying a positive thing as he spoke, those cultures that have used walls have actually produced more creativity and kind of, um, they've advanced a little bit more. So I'm not, you know, going pro, con, whatever. But walls have a big history. And the same uh, thing I was listening to, there's a woman from Quebec, a professor who's done a study on the walls that are being built around the world right now. And I think it was like 73 main walls between nations and all this kind of thing. But she has all kinds of stats and stuff. I won't bore you, though some of them are interesting. Um, And she said one of the things that she found most interesting is that in almost every case, the people who live closest to the wall or the perceived wall, the different, so there's people closer, there's people far away, on the, on the, let's say on the good side of the wall, whatever that means, right? And she said, the further you got away from the wall, the more those people became convinced that it was needed. Isn't that interesting? In other words, if you live close to the wall that was proposed, you might not think it was that necessary. There's something to do with fear here in how we build our walls. Now, to bridge to Christian faith. I want to say this carefully and gently, but I think it bears saying. It's not only Christian. This is other faiths, other religion, other religious systems as well. But let's admit this. The Christian faith through years and centuries has built at times its identity on being separate, right? Not being like those others. The moment we start doing that, and we have scriptural mandate for some of this understanding, I get that. But the moment we take that as foundational in our faith, what separates us from other people, we become wall builders. We build mega walls or we build micro walls. So then I think through how we do things. I was a youth pastor for years. Once a youth pastor, always a youth pastor, I suppose. And I think 
and I sometimes think of the models. The, the model of having like a youth ministry, which I support, obviously, and support Keith and his great work here. But that model is a model that's only 50 years old or so. There weren't youth ministries, you know, decades and decades ago. So churches started saying, well, we've got to get young people. What were they saying? Two roles, two things mainly. Get young people here who otherwise wouldn't be here. And secondly, to some degree, protect the young people that we have so that they're not, right, hurt by the dangers in the world. So in our, even in our good models at times, we become little wall builders. And so what happens to you is it becomes confusing for you then, how am I to share my faith if so much of it, or even a bit of it, is about how I'm separate? And so why do you feel bad about sharing your faith? And I know that many of you do, speaking about Jesus. Is it because you're worried what it would make you look like? For some people that's true. They're going to judge me. They're going to be your religious, whatever, right? I think for more people, particularly in Canada, and maybe it's because this is more kind of how, I don't know, I see it and the people I love can see it this way. It's not that you would feel bad in yourself. It's that you would feel bad for the person to whom you're speaking. I don't want you to feel like you're less. I don't want you to feel... And this all comes from this idea of separation and walls. The text. The first part of the text. Oh, and this, I love what Jean Vanier says. Jean Vanier, founder of L'Arche. He says, a community that exists for itself will die. So, there are communities and church communities that really explicitly exist for themselves. Those die relatively quickly unless they can keep, you know, having babies. Um, but even ones that don't explicitly exist for themselves, but mostly do. In other words, if most of your Christian identity is here at church, right, then to some degree we're existing for ourselves. And what will happen for Sutherland Church, I'm not saying this is the worst thing in the world, we will just kind of fade. Uh, Vanier has found some beautiful ways to reach out in the world. His community's large and what he does, and uh, how he's modeled faith in Jesus Christ. So, the far off. You were, this is what the text says. Now, I understand for people like you and me, we've got to change our mindset to hear this text. Because if I say to you, imagine a wall, okay, dividing people. What side of the wall do you put yourself on in your imagination? Good side, right? Because if we look around at most of our faces and the way we've lived in the world, we've been on the good side of most walls. Just living in Canada means that. This text is going to do something to you. It's going to say, says, you were far off. You were alienated. You were on the other side of the wall. Great teaching, and writing. When you think about walls, you were on that other side. You were the one who was cut off. Verses 13 to 15. You have been brought near by Jesus. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down 
in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I love this text for many reasons, this, these verses, but one of them is that it has both the, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ reminding us of his sacrifice and what his sacrifice has done. Abolished the law of commandments. In other words, abolished any idea that human beings in themselves can make themselves acceptable to God, can bring themselves near, right? He has brought you near, and in doing so, he has taken what was once two, one side of the wall and the other, and he has made that one. Now, for some people in this world, that is the worst possibility. I want what I have, and I don't want them to have it. Jesus Christ is a destroyer of walls and has brought two that were separate together as one. In this case, Jew and Gentile. But this is going to be a lot more than that. This is how you know Jesus is in the wall-destroying business. He is no respecter of walls. He is bringing people from that other side, but he's not bringing them from that other side. One of the things this wall um, radio show podcast did was it talked about how people have um, gotten over any portions of walls in the past between nations. And this was a case, I, I think it was between Mexico and the United States, that they've actually catapulted people over some of the barriers. There's always ways to get over walls, but Jesus Christ in this text has not kind of found out ways to say, you're over there, let's kind of pull you over here, or let's dig a tunnel for you to get through, or let's catapult you over. What has he done? He's destroyed the wall. This is the faith metaphor. And I'm asking for us in the future, I, you can tell that I don't have this all figured out yet by any means. I won't ever have it all figured out, but I hope to have more thought through. For me, Lord Jesus, what would it mean to bear witness to the hope that people could know in you? Those I love, my friends, those in this community. And I'll tell you what, I'm convinced of this. There's something in this reminder that the walls are torn down. That it's not me trying to drag people onto my side of the thing. There's something much more evangelical about it, good news about it. So then we all have these glimpses, right? Without saying too much, you just watch for this. I don't know if it's easier or harder for a pastor, but for those people in your life that might know you have this faith, those who do, and the ways they talk to you. So I have this friend, she's a Muslim woman, she's been a friend of Jen and I for years and years. Um, and Jen, ran, we haven't seen her for some time. Jen ran into her in the grocery store not long ago, and she was at about her lowest. Um, and when this person's at her lowest, you know about it. She's just wonderful, fantastic, full of life. And so I reached out to her, and we met this week for coffee. And I'm meeting with her, and I'm hearing about her difficulties. She, her mom died last January, and her mom was like the person in her life that gave her hope. And so then this Muslim woman says to me, she calls me father and a priest. You don't, you don't bother making the distinctions all the time with some people. And she said, Father, I know God listens to you. Will you pray for me? I want her to know the hope that's in Jesus Christ. You are no longer foreigners and aliens. 
These terms that we apply to other people, this text is applying to us. You were once foreigner, alien. You are no longer foreigner, alien. What are you now, the text says. You are now a fellow citizen. It's interesting the language that's used here. You are a fellow citizen with full rights. Other language will say you've been adopted. Always our message, always our message is reconciliation. If you want to think about how can you speak about, I mean, you bear witness to your faith in many ways, in being hopeful in a world that is often hopeless, right? In being for people in a world that's often against people. There's key ways you bear witness to your faith in Jesus Christ. Be careful about being good in a world that's bad because then you become dangerous. But I'm not saying be bad. I'm just saying we're not, our witness isn't really about being better than other people so much. It's about being drawn towards them. And when you realize that though that person might not share your faith, in some ways they're better than you, it can help you to actually reach out. But our message is always reconciliation. In other words, the message that we have for the world Whatever, so this thing's gone, where we are, what new building we have, or we don't, we have this fixed, or who, what doesn't matter. In whatever new kind of incarnation for Sutherland Church in days and years ahead, what is the heart of what we do? How do we speak the gospel into the world? It is this God is reconciling us to Himself. That's it. In Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, do you remember Jesus goes out in the desert before he starts his earthly ministry and he's tempted? There's all the temptation narrative, fantastic, powerful stories. Comes back in Luke chapter 4 and he goes to the synagogue. And the, the time ends bad. Like, he made people feel way worse than I made you feel at the beginning. And he didn't start it with a little softened kind of, you know, I'm going to do this. It ends, Jesus, this is Jesus in the synagogue one of his first kind of sermons, and it ends with people wanting to kill him. And he has to leave the place, and they're going to chase him to stone him to death. What on earth happened? Do you remember the scene? He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads. He reads from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, freedom for captives, right? Sight for the blind. Good news for the poor. He says then, later, and people are marveling, what is happening? He seems to have some kind of power and authority that he's speaking with. And so, you know, you can do that when somebody's speaking sometimes. You can think, what is it? There's something being said here. And so the people are thinking, he, he's just reading, other people had read from the scroll, but there's an authority that he seems to have. And then he says, he takes the scroll, so not in book form, but scroll form, and he puts it down and he says, today in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Many people who don't read the scripture well, if you don't read the scripture well, you think that's what upset them and that's why they tried to kill him. It's not. In in fact, after he says today in, in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled, he carries on a conversation with them and it says they still marveled at the grace that they were seeing. But the scene ends with them wanting to kill him. Why? You look up Luke chapter 4, you can find it. Because he does this thing where he says, 
basically says, this good news is for everybody. And do you remember, he says in the Old Testament, the stories when there were a lot of lepers, there were even lepers in Israel. In other words, he's saying, there were people among you that had need and needed God's presence. But God went to Naaman the Syrian and blessed him. That's what set people off. They went, no, not Syrians. Separate. Separate. Right from the start, Jesus Christ came saying, this is good news for all. And verses 16 to 19 speak of that reconciliation. The nature of it. You've been brought near. We read that scripture. Our message is God with us. You are, and you can understand this, sometimes the first part's easier, sometimes not. I don't really know, depending on where you're at spiritually. We are recipients of this gospel. But we are never only recipients. We are also bearers of this gospel. And if we're not both, then we don't understand the God of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We bear this good news. Always our message. Did you know? So you could think, how would you speak this to your friends and loved ones? Did you know that God is reconciling us to himself and to one another in Jesus Christ? That's what I believe. God is reconciling us to himself and to one another in Jesus Christ. And no one's better than anyone else. Right away, I understand I'm not... You get into these things, well, who's saved, who's not, who's... That's not so much my business. That's up to God. But I know God is reconciling us to himself and to one another in Jesus Christ. And I'm called to put my faith and trust in him. And my bearing witness is that other people would see this hope and respond to it. And finally, something is being built. This is the eschatological hope. I don't know where are we going here. This is just me with the... The eschatological building. We'll get there. Look at that. Christian faith without division. The text will say it this way. God is building something. And let us describe to you, Paul is saying to the people, let me describe to you some pieces of that. And when he starts naming the pieces, it's pretty astounding. He says, the saints who came before us. Members of the household of God. The apostles and the prophets. In other words, he's saying, people in here. People whose names you know by scripture. All of those are part of this building project. And Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. This is all eschatological talk, what God is doing. The whole structure is being joined together. And then I love that this word is used. And in the Greek, this is a word that I don't really know it that well, but it, it doesn't speak only of um, like practical building. It's why, why would you get a word like grows in a building project? A building doesn't grow, it's made, it's manufactured. The building that God is building is living. The eschatological building. And Christ is the cornerstone. And the whole thing is growing into a holy temple. That's the text. And then this astounding 
promise and declaration. To people that Paul had said previously in this text, you were on the other side of the wall, you were cut off. Now he's bringing you to this wonderful building project and saying, this is the apostles, the prophets, the saints who've gone before us, and you. Can't be. Me? That's what I have to believe for my friends who haven't seen the hope in Jesus Christ yet. And you. You're being built. You thought that was astounding. Wait, what comes next? You're being built into a dwelling place for God. The you there, you of course is each of us, but it's together as well, it's plural. You are being built into a dwelling place for God. In other words, the end of the project is not separation. It's reconciliation by Jesus Christ our Lord. In this text, and in my teaching today, it is not talking about eschatologically what does separation mean. And that's a much murkier topic in Scripture, by the way, than this. This one we're pretty sure about. The people who claim to know just what, like, what separation means into eternity, they have a weaker case often. It's there. It's just not super clear theologically. I'm not saying in this, well, you know... Everything is the same. You can believe in Jesus or not believe in Jesus. It's all the same. That's the last thing I'm saying. I'm saying that the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. But he is the hope for all. So it's not... Well, I've wrestled with this. Some of you would, if, some of you would know this. That I've struggled with the concept that we kind of got to pull people through or under or over that wall and now they're here. Now they're with us. And so at times in my work uh, there's not intentionally but there can be seemingly a downplaying of some things that would be good. Part of my struggle with that to be open and honest with you is that I've seen God calling us to different more hopeful ways of speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has to do with these walls coming down. So now think again, those people you love, those people you interact with. What do you long for for them? Do you want to say to them next time you see them, you should become a Christian? I mean, in a way you could say, yeah. doesn't quite fit that, does it, at times. You would say, you're praying. Oh, picture those people who might be someone that you don't see that much. The Holy Spirit might bring someone into your mind right now. Might be someone in your own family, a loved one. And you think, what is it that I want for them in terms of my faith? And you could say this, I pray that they would know the hope that is in Jesus Christ. 
that God is reconciling us to him. And now ask yourself, how will you share this faith then? And there are some beautiful, beautiful ways to do it. We'll get there. We'll get there. It is not. I mean, I hope this isn't offensive to you. And I don't mean it to cast dispersions on where we've been. I've been here for years and years. I'm part of this. But it's not just for us to imagine what could be here. You know, here's this building, but what could be here? It's really to imagine what is it that God is building in terms of this faith. That's the question we have to answer. And we build physically accordingly. I would present, now this we could just talk back and forth, this this isn't gospel, I would present that the way in which we've built in the last 50 and 100 years, in other words, how this place came to be, had something to do with ideas of separation. Most people don't know what on earth is on this corner as they drive by. Maybe the new thing will be different. Maybe it's time. If we can see this. Al Ferguson and I met this week talking about vision. He said, I don't know, he said, I just woke up in prayer, woke up with a prayer in my mind not that long ago and thought I'd share it with you because it might have something to do with vision. And he proceeded to tell me something that was virtually identical to things that I'd been feeling. We hadn't spoken. He had different words for describing it. But this reaching out into the community, this connecting with other people, he had a great word for it. He used the word healing. That there is to be from this place healing in our community. So we seek to discover a Christian faith without division. Jesus Christ is the destroyer of walls. I wish I could give you more. I wish I could say, so here's the five-point plan. Um, In one way, I wish it, just because then you would feel better and you'd be like, he's got a real clear sense of where we're going. I think I've got as clear a sense as I'm supposed to have right now. And I think God will reveal to each of us in conversation if we say, what might it mean that we want to positively bear witness to this faith in this world? And how would we build and work according to that? So I'll just say, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to ask? Come, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this reminder that we are the ones who are on the other side of the wall. And you, by the body and blood of Jesus Christ, tore down that dividing wall. Help us to see not a Christian faith that is weak and compromising, but help us to see a Christian faith that is entirely hope in Jesus Christ. And show us ways to speak this in this world. Make us attentive, Holy Spirit, to your presence in all of our conversations. Help us to not be salespeople in any way with this. I'm so aware that we live in a world where people are just so, um, they're aware of any sales job. But help us to first know the hope that we have so that we could bear witness to that hope that we are recipients and bearers both.
And then we say this, and build your church. Show us, by the revelation of the Spirit, what you are building into eternity. And place upon our hearts a humble awareness. I, I feel it almost like a repentance. When you tell me, Lord God, that I am and we are part of that building, I say, forgive me my sin. Show us what you have done for us and others. In Christ's name, amen. I think I turned this one off. This on, yeah. 
So then we go from this place. It's, it's a good reminder that the Christian faith exists in this understanding that we are sent, that God is with us. But that's a statement not only for us, but for us to bring to others. So that's benediction all the time, that your, your primary faith identity is actually not in this place. It's in the sentness. So then go into this week knowing that God is with you and reconciling us to him in Jesus Christ and that you bear this witness of hope in this world. We pray that you would have opportunity to see those times where the Holy Spirit is leading you to speak, to give reason for the hope you have. Come Holy Spirit. We pray for the meeting downstairs. We ask your blessing, Lord God. We thank you for those who have prepared the food for us. We ask that you would bless it to our body's use and us to your service. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.